welcome to the Polygamer Podcast, where gaming is for everyone. Join us as we expand the boundaries of the gaming community. Hey everyone, it's your host Ken Gagney with a special episode of Polygamer. This episode is airing on Wednesday, August 3rd, but it's not a numbered episode. It's bonus episode number one, recorded on July 31st. This week we're talking about Star Trek Beyond, the third film in the reboot universe, which debuted on July 22nd. In just the first week that's been out, I've already seen it twice in theaters, and I'm so excited about this movie. I'm such a huge fan. I've been a fan of Star Trek going back to when The Next Generation debuted in September of 1987. I've seen every live-action Star Trek that has existed in the last 30 years. And so I was so excited to see Star Trek beyond its opening weekend with a bunch of my friends at Kansas Fest and Apple II Expo, and then a week later with my mom, my brother, and my girlfriend. There was one person missing from our movie-going party. Last summer, for Father's Day, episode number 24 of Polygamer featured my dad, Edward F. Gagne. We talked about how he introduced me to Star Trek and video games. I've gone to see every Star Trek movie I could opening night with him. But if you've also been listening to this show, then you know that he passed away this past March, just a few months shy of Star Trek Beyond. It was a really hard movie for me to see without him, and I confess I almost walked out within the first minute. Not because of the movie, the movie was fine, but just because it was so hard to be there without him. But I was so glad to be able to see it with my mom, who I've accidentally gotten into Star Trek since my dad passed away. I need to talk about this movie on the air, and I don't have a perfectly matched outlet in which to do so, except maybe this podcast, Polygamer. We are, of course, about equality and diversity in gaming, and talking about Star Trek for an hour does not suggest that we are changing that focus. We're not going to become a broader, general geek culture podcast. This is just a one-time thing, which is why it's airing on the first Wednesday in August. We'll continue our episodes about equality and diversity in gaming on the second and fourth Wednesdays, as we always have for more than two years now. We'll be back to that schedule next week. In the meantime, this is a spoiler cast episode of Star Trek Beyond. If you have not already seen it, you'll be having it ruined for you within the first five minutes. But I'm not going to be doing it alone. I need to have somebody on this voyage with me. Somebody who knows and loves Star Trek as much as I do, if not more. And so I'm very honored to be joined by my good friend, Sabriel. Hi, Brie. Hello there. You were on Polygamer number 21 way back in May 13th of 2015, and you have been a prolific and active member of the gaming community ever since. Affirmative. Uh, But the reason you're on the show today is because you are also one of the trekkiest trekkies I know. Well, thank you. I like to call myself a trekkie trekkie. I I don't know. Yes. I mean, we've both been guests on Scott McNulty's Random Trek just earlier this year. So much fun. I know. Wasn't it a great show? Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And how far back does your Trekhood go? Have you been a fan since The Next Generation? Uh, yes, Next Generation. I, f- I can't remember exactly which season, but I think about second or third. It was when I was kind of starting to become old enough to understand what was going on ever since then. And did you watch every Trek, every episode, every series thereafter? Everything except for there's a few episodes of the animated series I haven't watched yet. But I have it. I just haven't gotten around to it. So you even went back and watched all of the original series? Oh, yes, absolutely. Oh, so you... Actually, the original series is the only live-action Star Trek that I've not seen every episode of. And you know what? To be perfectly honest, that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) If you get the big ones, like you know which ones are popular, then you're okay. Sure, I've seen City on the Edge of Forever. 
the Trouble with Tribbles, uh, Balance of Terror. I have not seen Spock's Brain. Oh, that's okay. That is... <laughs> You know, if you're going to miss one episode out of 700 of Star oh, Trek, yes. it's Spock's brain. That or Turnabout Intruder. Or Threshold, which, but that's Voyager. <laughs> that's Voyager. Right. So we're here today to talk about Star Trek Beyond. Yes. Oh, my God. I was so excited for this movie, and I am so happy to say that everything I was excited for came true. What were you hoping this movie would be or do? Well, I wanted... Okay. Star Trek Into Darkness kind of left me feeling eh. So, with all the excitement of Beyond, they got Simon Pegg going on and writing for it, and he's a big fan of it. I'm like, okay, this is your chance to turn things around after an okay showing with Into Darkness. And sure enough, it was amazing. I had so much fun with the movie. Now, let me ask you, what didn't you like about Into Darkness? Now, the con thing I thought was fine. Just the whole movie, the pa- I don't know if it was even the pacing, just didn't get me excited. Like Star Trek 2009, I watched that movie eight times between the time it came out and Christmas. Or maybe New Year's. Wow, that's a lot. Uh huh. That's including like commentary tracks. They're watching with people who hadn't seen it yet. And I figured out it was eight times. And that movie, I just love it. And I still love it to this day. And Into Darkness, I can watch it and I can enjoy it for what it is, but it doesn't get me excited. Like, yes, awesome. And Beyond, again, got me back into the excited state. Yeah, I saw Star Trek 2009 in theaters within the month of its release three times. And then I saw it at home on DVD with the Rift Tracks commentary track. And then I saw it just earlier this month with my mom, actually, who had never seen it, because she wanted to go see Star Trek Beyond, but she hadn't seen any of the reboot films. So I showed her the 2009 one and figured we could skip Into Darkness, because Justin Lin said he wasn't going to acknowledge anything that happened in that movie. (laughs) Not contradict it, just not acknowledge it. Right. Uh, But then, and now Star Trek Beyond, I've already seen it twice in theaters within one week of it coming out. Star Trek Into Darkness, I saw it once in theaters, and that's it. I really didn't feel the need to go back and see it again. I think I've only seen it once or twice since the theater as well. Just, eh. Yeah, but Star Trek Beyond, it fixes all those mistakes? Mm-hmm. Oh, I felt so. I, I felt it did. In, in what way? Was it the, the pacing, the script, the action, the what? Oh, my goodness. Well, that would kind of have to go back to saying what's wrong with Into Darkness. It's like, I thought Khan was fine, but it could have also left him as anyone who wasn't Khan. Really, and still been the same villain because they kind of, they have two different villains in Into Darkness, and that can be difficult and kind of take away from the whole thing of the movie. And there's also the um, love thing with Uhura and Spock, which frustrated the hell out of me. Not that they were a couple, but that they were fighting and all this stuff. And Uhura's main thing was basically be her role in the movie was mostly just to be counter to Spock and being pissed off at him. And then there was the whole um, Carol Marcus thing, where she's like showing up naked in the camera for no reason at all, and or almost naked anyway. And in Beyond, there was none of that. Like um, the women were all awesome, and uh, we only had one real villain here. And I mean, that's just kind of touching the surface. Plus, the action was more exciting in Beyond. Um, I thought the story was better, the pacing was better. I thought it was just a lot more, a lot of fun. Yeah, since you mentioned the women of the movies, this one had two main women that I could count, Uhura and Jayla, and then as a minor character, the facehugger woman that Kirk (laughs) entrusted with the Abernath. Right, right. But I don't think any two of them are ever in the same scene together. I mean, facehugger and Uhura are briefly together, but does this film even pass the Bechdel test? Um, Let's see. Not once does Uhura talk to anybody about Spock. I think it's already right there. Okay, 
but does she talk to another female named character oh, yes, about anything? See. The other woman is only in there, so let's see. I don't think she does. So it only half passes. Yeah, because there is the scene where just before Crawl tests the Abernath, Uhura and the victim, the first victim of the Abernath are in the same room together. Uh-huh, but I but think they're both talking to Crawl. I don't think they talk to each other. Right. Yep. The only interaction they have is Uhura screaming, going, no! Right. You already got what you want. Leave her alone. And yeah. So it's just, disapp- I mean, you're right that the treatment of the women in this movie is vastly superior from Into Darkness. But it still doesn't pass the Bechdel test, which is disappointing. I, I, didn't catch, I didn't catch that. Yep. One person who I saw this movie with yesterday said that she likes to see her movies filled with a diverse cast. I think the film does that in terms of, like, you know, we have uh, Sulu, Uhura, Captain, was it Edison? Or Kral, mm-hmm. whatever his name was. Mm-hmm. So, so there is some diversity there. And also, of course, as made a lot of headlines recently, Sulu is gay. Yes, yes. At least in this new universe. And one friend that I saw this movie with, he actually missed that. Like, he asked, when I mentioned this after we saw the movie, he said, did I miss something? Did Sulu do something gay? <laughs> it is pretty subtle, in a way. I mean, what I read is that they actually filmed a kiss scene that got cut. Oh, really? Yeah, I guess the actor that they had hired to play Sulu's husband or partner backed out at the last minute or wasn't available, and they couldn't hire a new actor on sh- short notice. Oh. They instead got Doug Young, the co-author of the script to play Sulu's husband. Interesting. I did not catch that. And I hear that. Yeah. So unfortunately, since he's not a professional actor, he might not have a role in any future Star Trek films, but he was in this one and they had to cut the kiss scene anyway. I mean, they filmed it. This just wasn't in the mm-hmm. movie, which is just well, just before we started recording, I saw that there's 30 extra minutes that was cut out of the movie. 30 minutes. Yeah. So we might get that scene in some Blu-ray coming up. I would like to see that. Wow. I mean, usually when they cut stuff, it's for pacing, and it's usually a good decision. But if you don't mind disrupting the pacing, the additional scenes do usually add more backstory. Yes, yes. Yeah. So Star Trek, of course, got its start on the television, where there's plenty of opportunity for thoughtful, diplomatic, philosophical debate. And a lot of people are sad that Star Trek has sort of devolved into an action movie franchise. What do you think this film does to that reputation? Okay, so it doesn't change it. The movies have always been a different beast than the TV show, and a number of people, I feel, forget that, or they don't notice it, or they choose to ignore it. When you're doing a two-hour movie, you can't, or an hour and a half, whatever it may be, you can't just sit there and be the diplomatic, we stand around, debate with our options. And things tend to be more action-y. I mean, from, well, Star Trek 1 was kind of that, and, you know, it's kind of a, I don't think it holds up very well. Beyond that, like, every single movie after that had been full of action and even as the actors got older i don't really get the hate that the movies get of quote-unquote not being star trek because they are in a different way like some of the most fun you have in star trek is when it gets a little more action yeah one of my favorite star trek movies ever is star trek first contact which has the borg invading the enterprise that's a very action-oriented film people storming the holodeck and the saucer section the uh, deflector dish you know, there's some great fight scenes, but there's also some philosophy in there regarding why Picard is doing this and their hope for humanity and is that from Cochran's embracing his own future. So I felt like that movie balanced the two aspects of Star Trek, and I feel like 
the last two movies, 2009 and Into Darkness, were a little bit more action-packed than they were philosophy-packed. I can see that. I can see that. Especially Into Darkness. We didn't really have any reasons. The Khan, sure, he loved all his people and he was their leader, but we still didn't really feel him and think it behind his reasoning for what what things are doing and why things are the way they are. Right. With Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, we got a lot of that backstory in Space Seed, the original mm-hmm. series episode. Whereas, I don't know that either of... I mean, since this is the alternate universe, the Kelvin universe, Space Seed never happened, and I feel like this Khan had a very different character, a very different motivation. Very much so. That we never got to learn. Yeah. The Star Trek Beyond, I felt like this brought more balance to the Force, where there was this a massive, huge, amazing opening sequence that destroys the Enterprise. And then there's the huge sequence at the end where they escape from Krull's base and they go to save Yorktown. And in between that, the only real action was the brief section where Chekhov and Kirk are on the saucer section and fire the thrusters. You know, other than that, everything in the movie is character development. Yeah, it's character development and but do we also do we get much for motivation? I mean, Crawl kind of figured out in a very short blurb at the end why he does the things he does when Uhura finds the video uh, at the very end. So they kind of crammed his motivations in at the end. Yeah, but if you, I found a second viewing of the film, knowing who Crawl was and why he was doing what he was doing, gave the entire movie a very different spin. I found that. Him being a soldier who was born into war, as he says at the end, that's what he was born into. And mm-hmm. he specifically mentions the Zindi Wars and the Romulan Wars, which harken back to Enterprise, which is the yes. only live-action Star Trek TV series that is canon in the new universe. You know, So I thought that kind of tied it all in kind of neatly. Oh, here, that's a whole sidestep. I am so glad this movie happened and mentioned Enterprise because it actually validates Enterprise. There are so many people on various forms, who say, Enterprise is not canon to me because it doesn't do this, or it retcons this. And so here, they forced the validation of the original sh- or of Enterprise. And like, yes, finally. Yeah, they mentioned that the Franklin was the first Warp 4 ship, whereas the Enterprise NX-01 was the first Warp 5. Mm-hmm. They mentioned that the transporters were only ever intended for cargo, not live specimens. And I found that some of the uniforms they wore on the Franklin were very similar to what Archer and his crew wore. Yep, and the shuttle pods in the video were close to, if not the same kind, you see in Enterprise as well. Oh, that's true. I hadn't even thought of that. Good call. Huh. Yeah, there were, there were a lot of those little tie-ins. And uh, they even mentioned that one of the theories of how and why the Franklin got lost was that it was captured by a giant <laughs> green hand. I was the only person in the theater to laugh at that. <laughs> I totally missed it. That's one of the original series episodes I never saw. Oh, yeah, it's okay. Who mourns for Adonai? Yeah. So I guess I need to go back and watch that one. But we don't ever really find out how they did end up on that planet, do we? No, we don't. We don't. Yeah, Memory Alpha has a pretty exhaustive entry for the USS Franklin. I think they say it was a wormhole, but we never really find out. Not in the movie anyway, I don't think. So do you think, given that Krall's backstory may have been sort of forced in at the end, do you think he was a good villain? I I thought he was because you still... you wind up not liking him at all. Hell, I don't know if... Do we ever feel remorseful for him, though? That might be up to the viewer. Because, like, here he felt the Federation betrayed him. Do we ever feel like, like, oh, I can understand, I can see your point. Um, That's kind of like the viewer? Because 
I think the movie kind of pushes him into no, we will never see his point because he's hateful and now he's trying to kill millions of people and whatever. Like we we don't really see like yeah, he's he, he justified in his actions for hating them. Like eh, I don't I don't really know. Like he, I think he was a good villain, but I don't I think it was very black and white in that way. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. It did occur to me that some of his views might be similar to some of the views being espoused in the current United States presidential election. Edison felt that there was no strength in diversity, you know, and that we need struggle. There are some parties who feel that we need to be more homogenous in this country. And so I, I, I saw a parallel there, not an intended one, given how far back this film has been in production. Right, right. I wonder if there are people who could empathize with that character, even if he is somewhat black and white. You're right about that. I sure as hell can't. <laughs> nope. Yeah. You know, at the very, very end, when he was floating up behind Kirk as he was trying to open the hatch, mm-hmm. he's just floating there, and the glass is floating in front of him, and he sees his own reflection. Did you think that just for an instant, maybe he was going to help Kirk? Oh, you know, no. No? <laughs> for me, not at all. I don't think he... I didn't see that coming at all. I thought that might be a moment of redemption where he he had just said a minute earlier that he missed being himself. And then he uh-huh. sees himself in the mirror and he's like, I am human. This I am Starfleet. Maybe I should, you know, I, I know Kirk is going to defeat the Abernath. Maybe the least I can do is help save Kirk. See here, I thought he was just, I, I got the impression he was just like, oh, that's right. That's what I look like. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but that's me. But that that seemed to be something that pushed him over the edge because when he saw his reflection, that's when he grabbed the glass and went to stab Kirk in the back, literally. Yeah, yeah. And and so I wasn't sure if maybe he was angry at his own lost humanity. It very well could have been. I just didn't pick that up when I watched it. And of course, it wasn't just Crawl acting alone. He had his two lieutenants who were also members of the Franklin. Yeah, they didn't really cover that. It was kind of confusing. Like, who are these people? I was actually kind of watching for their suits. I think at different times they did. Um, look like crawls and did not because I think the suit is what helped them draw out the life energy of others. I'm not 100% sure though. Oh, that's true because they also must have lived for over 100 years so they must have had the access to the same vampiric technology that crawl did. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, because at the very end of the movie when Admiral Paris is closing the case on all the crew members of the Franklin, you know, you can see Edison, you can see Jessica Wolf. And this other person, and I didn't put two and two together, those were the three villains in this movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it leaves the question that if they were all human, what language were they speaking to each other? Um, who knows? Perhaps they pick something up from people they absorb. Maybe it's something with the alien technology that I found. Um, that's quite a good question, though. Yeah, because there didn't seem to be uh, any reason for them to not be speaking English, but it was apparent when Ahura showed up and she said, "You speak. how do you know our language? How do you know English? And he says, I know your kind. It seemed like his mouth wasn't familiar with English. It had been a long time since he had spoken it, yeah. which is why we needed subtitles most of the times that they spoke. That's an interesting point. I may have to dig into that or they missed something entirely. It's possible. I don't know. Hmm. But one thing that confused me on the second viewing, I started thinking about it is why they would never look in the old ship. And maybe they just didn't care about escapees. Like, eh, they can't do anything anyway. But, like, they seem to have forgotten the Franklin was there. I wondered about that, because when the Franklin first shows up to save the Yorktown, 
Edison or Kral says, my old friend. And at first you don't know why he says that. It becomes apparent later that he was the captain. Mm -hmm. But if he was the captain of the ship, then that those image refractors or holographic cloaks that Jaled set up wouldn't do any good because Kral's the one who crashed that ship onto that planet in the first place. Mm -hmm. So he knew exactly where it was all along. Maybe he just thought it was, I don't know, deactivated. Well, when you're surrounded by super futuristic alien technology, you don't really need it. Maybe he didn't even care about Jayla or any of the people who had gotten away. Uh, like, eh, and so she was just doing it, the defenses to hide from the other junkers. So you think his hubris was such that he just felt Jayla and her kind were beneath his notice? I'm starting to think that. It's like, eh, all right, well, whatever. We'll, we'll worry about them if we actually need them. Right. I mean, I can't think of a better explanation. Although I was wondering at one point, where he got the pilots for all those drone ships if he was like if that's why he was capturing the enterprise crew was to assimilate them but then i realized in his last captain's log he said that the native population of that planet had left behind a drone army basically yeah yeah i had had the same wondering and then like oh yeah that's right so so they were all robots basically uh-huh. which is why i guess mccoy had no compunction against jettisoning them into space because you know, first do no harm, and then he goes around killing the bad guys. Well, they weren't really alive to begin with. Exactly. That's some pretty advanced technology. Yeah, I wonder what they were. I was wondering if they were actually ever going to make a connection to the Iconians. I don't think they are here because we don't see any Iconian gate or anything like that, but it's one of the ancient or ancient civilizations in the known Star Trek lore. Do you think they might have abandoned multiple planets with multiple technologies? That's well, very well possible. Maybe they just never discovered the Iconian gateway. Interesting. I never thought of that. Maybe that's how they abandoned the planet, was just by warping to somewhere else. Yeah. And if it, if it was even them. Who knows? Huh. So we talked a little bit about the women in the movie, but let's talk more about Jayla, who is the only significant new woman in the Star Trek universe introduced in this movie. What did you think of her as, as an addition to the cast? I thought she was so cool. I hope she becomes a regular. Yeah, I don't have a complaint about her. I'm so happy they did not force any kind of relationship between her and someone else, or her and Scotty, or anybody. She was just cool because she's cool. And she's her because she's her. She understands engineering to some extent. I'm like, that's cool. And she was, okay, love interest. That's the word I was looking for. She's no love interest for anybody that. She's there to be her. And I thought that was so much, that was so cool. Yeah, I don't know why. I hadn't really seen her in the trailers. I avoided some of the trailers. But I thought she was going to really be in a position of power in this movie, like I, I almost saw her and Crawl as equals, and so did I, so did I. And that's not really the case, not in the least. And she also seemed fairly young, like maybe nineteen, twenties, yeah, young, tw- lower twenties. I can even see nineteen. Yeah, I don't know the actual age of the actress. I'm not even sure if I know what she looks like without makeup on. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. Let me look that up while we're here. Star Trek Beyond, filmed in or released in 2016. And Jayla is played by Sophia Butella, who was born in 1982, so that makes her 24 today. No, 34. That's what I am. (laughs) Oh, you're right. Uh, (laughs) Sorry, I was thinking 1992. My bad. So she is your contemporary. Wow. Yeah, I don't don't think she was playing a 34-year-old. At least, I don't know how her alien race ages. Right, right. But didn't strike me as a 34-year-old. Same here. She seemed very... What are you trying to say, Ken? What? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> I I think that you are 
far more confident in who you are and your capabilities than she is. Oh, okay, okay. That's what I thought you were going to say. Exactly. <laughs> Man, don't you go trying to corner me like that. This is my <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I'm taking over. Ugh. I'm sitting in the chair. Fine. Yeah, I liked when she sat in the chair and, and Scotty, or I think it was Scotty, said, he likes that chair. Yep, yep. <laughs> Yeah, she was certainly very uncomfortable in her house. I love that that was her term for the Franklin. I make my house fly. That was, you know, I liked that line the first time I saw the movie. The second time I saw the movie, I loved that line. <laughs> because my other favorite scene with her is when the villain who killed her father says, you are going to die just like your father did. And she screams at him. Yes. Because there is there are so many emotions in that scream there's there's rage there's anguish there's loss there's hatred there's revenge and there's fear oh and she can hold her own that's what i love about her too she kicks ass she is a total kick ass which i think is a phrase often reserved for female characters i don't know why that is you You're don't right. often hear right. men called kick ass uh -huh. but but yes, regardless of whether or not that is the appropriate phrase to use, it applies here. You know, I saw this movie, as I said, with my mom, and I, the one scene that I heard her, like, verbally appreciate, she's like, yes, was when Kirk beamed out with Jayla by jumping off his motorcycle. <laughs> that was fun. That was fun. I loved that it took this crew very little time to accept Jayla as one of her own or one of their own. Mm -hmm. Scotty got to spend the most time with her, and I loved the part where she stormed out, Kirk said, let her go, and Scotty said, she's lost people too, Captain. Yeah. This is not just some native that we're trying to manipulate into helping us save our people. She is somebody who has experienced the same loss and fear and pain that we're all experiencing right now. And it's we're asking a lot of her by asking her to help us. Mm-hmm. So I thought that really acknowledged her as a person on a lot of different levels. I liked that. Talking there, you reminded me of a scene that I don't think they played out as well as they intended to. Um, the motorcycle scene. Kirk is sitting there revving his engine and she sees him. But the guy that she's fighting, he says, they'll leave you. Not at, what, not at one point, not at one moment did I ever think Kirk was going to leave her behind. I think they're trying to make, I think maybe they had made some kind of editing change or story change to make her wonder if they're going to take her with but at no point did I think, no, Kirk's going to leave her behind. No, I, I don't think that was necessarily intended for us to doubt. I think it was more a statement on Edison and his, or Krall, take your pick, he and his two lieutenants didn't have anybody else to depend on. And especially because they were all humans and they were all relying on this vampire technology, they were all basically interchangeable in a way. Yeah. Whereas the Enterprise, Starfleet, the Federation, it's diversity personified. Oh, okay. And so here is this alien woman who the Enterprise have just met. They owe her nothing. Why would Kirk stay behind for one who is not his own? That is the perspective that Kral and his lieutenants probably had. So, of course, it makes sense to him. Yes, they will leave you. But Jayla is basically like, you don't know them. Kind of like Sulu said, you don't know what we're made of, but you're about to find out. Uh -huh. Okay, okay. I can follow that. I can follow that. So it was showing the disconnect in those two very different perspectives on the strength through unity. At least that was my take. I like your take. Thank you. <laughs> wow. So what was your favorite moment in this movie? Oh my gosh. Okay, let's see. Favorite characters? Probably Jayla. Favorite moment? Oh, I hated seeing the Enterprise destroyed. 
Oh, that was heart-wrenching. It was. It didn't have the same effect as Star Trek Three. Right. The Enterprise only lasts three movies. Uh-huh. And then it expires. <laughs> but yeah, any any time this technology just shreds into what is supposed to be a peacekeeping vessel. I had the same reaction when the Kelvin was destroyed. Okay, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. That was like, but, but, but. <laughs> right. I mean, that's not a ship I was attached to, but what the Kelvin stands for is the same thing the Federation stands for, which is peace, strength, and unity. And here comes this alien ship that just tears through its defenses, like it's not even there, it literally ejects people out into the silence of space, and it's just, it's heart-wrenching to see Starfleet brought to its knees so quickly and easily. Uh-huh, and you're not used to that. Right. Like when the nacelles were chopped off the Enterprise? Oh my god. <laughs> it's like clipping a butterfly's wings. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And even Scotty said, they're, they're gone, Captain. Gone. I thought it was interesting when they did the saucer separation. Which I thought was a great callback to the original series. The original Enterprise in the show, actually, in one episode, they mentioned saucer separation, but they didn't actually do it. Now, I know from technical notes that the original Enterprise was capable of saucer separation, uh-huh. but I thought the only reason we knew that was from the technical note. You're saying it was actually mentioned in a canon episode of the show? Yep, I don't remember which episode at all, but Kirk said something about get ready to do saucer separation. Oh, fascinating. I had no idea that was in there. And then they never did it, so... But I was disappointed that by the time they separated the saucer in this movie, it was already too late and they couldn't save it. Yeah, nothing would have happened. It felt like Ahura's sacrifice was for nothing. You're right, you're right. It ended up being that way. And in the end, it probably would have been in in the end because the ships were kind of relentless. Yeah, yeah, that was disappointing. Your question was my favorite scene. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think, oh, there's so many good ones. Anything with J-Love. I think the surfing playing sabotage. Like seeing that build up and seeing that come, I'm like, no, they're not gonna do. They're not going to. Oh, they're gonna do this. Okay, just sit in and have fun with this. It's so goofy, but have fun with it. Do you think that the fact that they were flying the Franklin had anything to do with why they were capable of saving Yorktown? Because somebody suggested to me that newer Starfleet vessels aren't capable of VHF radio frequencies. Um, you know, there's. I don't think there's any indication that they aren't. I don't know why not. I, I know in various shows they've said like, oh, that's a frequency we don't monitor or things like that. Right. And once they gave the frequency to Yorktown, they were able to broadcast. Uh-huh. So I don't think that's a valid argument. Yeah. It still seems strange to me, though, that now that we know that this was a cybernetic drone army, that they would be disrupted by Beastie Boys. <laughs> like if it was human vessels and, or human pilots that got distracted easily, I would get it. But I don't know. That seemed a little odd to me. Well, I think it was just any. They just it was just any song. It didn't have to be Beastie Boys. <laughs> it was just to play something on that channel or on that uh, frequency. And I did need it spelled out for me, even though I had just seen Star Trek 2009 three weeks ago. That that was the same song Kirk was playing when he stole his uncle's car. Yep, and then he looks like excellent choice. I know that was a total fourth wall breaking. Yep, we know you guys didn't like this. We're doing it anyway. Suck it. Yeah, and the <laughs> second time I saw the movie. When Kirk says that, he's not looking at Jayla, he's not looking down at himself, he's looking at us. Uh-huh. <laughs> directly at us. Excellent choice. That is an excellent choice. I love that. So that's one of my favorite scenes. Yeah, that was really cool. Especially just before they start playing, when you see the swarm redirect from Yorktown to attack the Franklin, and the camera has this long-distance shot oh my God. of this swarm descending upon the Franklin. Like, it is about to be crushed under a tidal wave. Uh-huh. 
Uh-huh. I think that's the first time you really appreciate how vast these this, these bees are, as Jayla calls them. Right. Even when um, they were attacking the Enterprise, we didn't see, like, maybe they didn't have as many ships, but we didn't see the scope of just how many there were. Right. Because everything was close quarters. Right. And even when they first show up on the view screen and Kirk turns around to the alien and says, what is this? I thought it was, like, some sort of cloaked ship. Yeah, yeah. You know? It took me a while to understand that these were not missiles being fired by another ship. It was a swarm of ships. Although, actually, that brings me back to a question I forgot to ask, which was when the Enterprise was first being attacked by the swarm, what was the thing that Scotty escaped in? Oh, a torpedo. That's what I thought. I Because he was looking all around the bay, trying to figure out how he was going to escape, and he looked like he was being creative when he decided how to escape. But when I left the theater, my friends were saying, no, that was just another escape pod. No, no, no. I didn't think so. That was a torpedo. I think they had done something like that. Or no, um, from the last movie. You can kind of make a connection to like he learned, oh, you can hang out in torpedoes. Oh, that's right. You don't have to make that connection. You can just like remove the explosives and hang out in there. That's right. I like that. And actually, at one point, I think Kirk said, everybody get to your Kelvin pods. Yep. Um, apparently, for whatever reason, in this universe, they never really had escape pods. Because if you think back to the Kelvin being destroyed in first Star Trek, they use shuttlecraft. Oh. So, in-universe here, someone apparently disco- or thought of the idea of making single-person escape pods. And so that's what the Kelvin pods were, named after the Kelvin. Interesting. I hadn't thought of that. Yep. So, apparently, Starfleet did that. Instead of going the escape pod route of multiple people in one, they just went Kelvin pods so everyone gets an individual one. Do you consider this the Kelvin universe? Is that what you call it? That's what CBS is calling it now. I've heard New Trek. I've heard JJ-verse. So, but it's the Kelvin timeline is what it's called. Right. One person I saw the new movie with, she calls it the handsome universe. <laughs> I had not heard that. You haven't heard that? Nope. So sometimes when I'm refer- talking to anybody else, I call it the Kelvin universe. But when I'm talking to her, I have to say the handsome universe. <laughs> so I like, like it. There's Spock Prime and Spock Handsome. <laughs> but, you know, the things you do to humor somebody. That's right. So my favorite scene was... Partly thanks to the theater I saw it in, their audio system was not very good and there were a lot of lines that I missed. When they were getting ready to launch the Franklin, they had said, we need to jumpstart this, we need to achieve terminal velocity. There were all these clues as to what was going to happen next, and I missed all of them. So when they started the engines, and then all of a sudden it sort of stalled and fell off the cliff, I had no idea that's what they intended. (laughs) And so I was gripping the arms of my chair. I was on the edge of my seat. I'm like, pull up, pull up, pull up. I had no idea what was going on. And then finally, at the last minute, Sulu says, now, Chekhov. And he punches it, and you see the thrusters fire, but the ship falls below the tree line. And I was so anxious. I I yelped in the middle of the theater. I was like, oh, oh. And the whole theater was quiet except for me because the music cuts out at at that point. And I was there with 15 of my friends. And they thought this was hilarious. The guy next to me, my friend Sheppy, thought I was having a heart attack. Like afterward, one of my friends comes to me and is like, was that you yelping, Ken? I'm like, it was. And one person, a friend of mine, as we were leaving the theater, said, Ken, of all the performances in this movie, I enjoyed yours the most. <laughs> and I apologized. And he said, no, it's great. I love that you can get that into a movie. Especially like Star Trek here. I think that would be my easiest to get that much into. Right. I'm, although, I just rewatched Superman Returns last month on its 10th anniversary. And there's a similar scene where 
uh, Lois Lane and her husband and son are in a seaplane, and it falls off a cliff to get velocity, falls below the camera angle, and then pulls back oh, up. I've forgotten that scene entirely. I've forgotten that movie entirely. I didn't feel anywhere near as tense when that happened. But the, just the way they played out the Franklin and they, they showed the, the uh, altitude descending and the warning lights going on and Kirk saying, anytime, Sulu. <laughs> I was like, I thought that was incredibly tense. And it helps that I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> That's amazing. That's fantastic. So I loved that movie. Although I will say my second favorite scene, completely different reasons, completely different tone, was at the very end when Commander Spock is going through Ambassador Spock's property. Oh my god, I cried <laughs> the first time I saw it. That was so unexpected. Uh, I, I did not know that was coming at all. I cried. <sighs> of the triad, the trinity of three main characters that have created TOS, only one is left alive. Oh my god, I hadn't thought of it that way. And so to see not only Spock and Bones, DeForest Kelly and Leonard Nimoy, in that photo... But just to see everybody, and for Commander Spock, he w- he said at the beginning of the movie that he wanted to live the way Ambassador Spock did by continuing his work on New Vulcan. Mm-hmm. But the work that Ambassador Spock did came at the end of his life. Yeah. You know, the, the two-part TNG episode, Reunification, was only after Spock had been on all these adventures with his friends on the Enterprise. Uh-huh, and I don't think... Um... Handsome Spock apparently uh, understood that correctly, or understood that in a way that he should have. Not until he saw that photo. Right. And then he saw all his friends, years in the future, still together, and he's like, that's the life Ambassador Spock lived. That's mm-hmm. what I want for me. Because even in the 2009 film, Ambassador Spock lied about his own existence because he wanted Spock and Kirk to form a friendship that would define them for years. Yes. You know, and for Spock to walk away from that to help make little Vulcans on new Vulcan, <laughs> that would be a mistake. That's not what Ambassador Spock would want. Correct. And I don't think he was making any new Vulcans either. No, I don't think any of the Spocks were. No. <laughs> I think the Spock bloodline ended with Spock. Yes. Unfortunately. At least in that universe. Well, you know what? Spock, Ambassador Spock lived a long time, and there's a lot of untold stories there, so we don't know. That's right. And we don't know what he was doing on new Vulcan. Mm-hmm. Was that Spock? Sarek, who encountered Commander Spock at Yorktown and pulled him aside to give him the news? I don't think it was. Okay. I could be mistaken, but I guess I don't think I looked that closely at them, but I don't think it was supposed to be him. Okay. I I wasn't sure because one of the Vulcans looked familiar, but I wasn't sure if it was from a previous Star Trek movie or I just recognized the actor from a different movie entirely. Gotcha. I don't know. I'll have to look at their photos again. So I know in... Star Trek Generations, we had Sulu's daughter at the helm of the Enterprise B. Is that correct? Yep, yep. Do we ever know who her other parent is? Nope. And that was one of the contention points with this. It's like, everyone just assumes Sulu had married a woman. And you know what? Maybe he did at some point, and maybe he got a divorce. Who knows? We don't know. So we don't know that this is rewriting canon. It could just correct. be clarifying it. right. I was looking on the IMDb to figure out who those other Vulcans were, and I just noticed that listed as a Starfleet official is Jeff Bezos. Oh, yeah, yep, yep. He had a cameo in the movie. I don't remember which scene. I did not know that. I did not know the owner of Amazon and the Washington Post was in Star Trek. I think, yep, yep. I think he was actually one of the aliens on the bridge of the Yorktown, or ops, 
whatever you want to call it. Okay. I think, but I'm not 100% certain. Something's kind of refreshing my memory as I talk here. Of course, also in the Battle Bridge of Yorktown was Matt Parker from Heroes. I didn't watch that show. He was also in Star Wars The Force Awakens. Yeah, it's one of the pilots. Apparently, he was also the man who was yelling at Young Kirk in the first movie. Oh, over the over the radio? Yeah, apparently. I, I can't confirm that. This is something I heard. Huh. Well, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, so Spock's dad, or excuse me, Kirk's dad, or stepdad becomes a Yorktown officer? Either stepdad or uncle, I forget which. Yeah, I don't think it was supposed to be intended to be the same person at all. <laughs> that would be actor. weird. He's like, why are you everywhere? <laughs> yeah, I can't find the other Vulcans in the IMDb at all, so that is a mission for another day. Wow, so we've covered a lot. Is there anything else about Star Trek that we want to talk about? Uh, Star Trek Beyond, the ships, they can take a beating. They are running into everything, rocks and other ships and and uh, the hull of the Yorktown. The Enterprise didn't take a beating. Uh, it took a beating, but no, I mean, um, the Franklin, when they're taking off, they're running into everything <laughs> on the way up. And then at the end, when they crash into the Yorktown, they don't blow a hole through the door. No, they just go right through it. Right. Right, yeah, they could have used their phase cannons, just like the Enterprise NX-01 had. Uh-huh, which I love that they made so many references to that show. Oh. Yeah, that was good. I love that it just ties into the Star Trek universe. Yes. And not because I liked Enterprise, which I did, but just because it shows that there's somebody out there who cares what they're doing with our universe. Uh-huh, uh-huh. We've loved this thing for 50 years, and it doesn't do us any favors to throw all that away. Yeah, I remember Simon Pegg actually said Memory Alpha was an amazing resource for the show. Oh, wow, I can imagine that, yeah. Oh, they mentioned the Makos as well. It as soon as a Mako, or was one. Yeah, and Mako was disbanded when the Federation was founded. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, it all ties in. You know, just like I mentioned uh, with the Zindi War, he fought in that. Although somebody, my brother actually, was disappointed that the Franklin was not a previously established loss in the Star Trek universe. Because that would have been even cooler to tie it all in together. Oh, it would have been, but we didn't really. Other than no, let's see. That's even beta canon. Okay. Um, in the book series, the Columbia gets lost, and but they actually end up being important to a different story. But yeah, we don't really mention much about ships that were lost in Enterprise. Was Columbia the NX O two? Yep. Okay. Yeah, and of course the uh, Star Trek Enterprise Mirror Universe episodes explain what happened to the USS Defiant from the original series. Right, right, which I thought was really cool. <laughs> right, I liked how that all tied in together. It would have been cool if they could have done that with the Franklin in this movie. Yeah, and I just don't think there was anything, there wasn't much mentioned on Enterprise that it could have been pulled from. Right. What do you think about the Enterprise A, which were just magically gifted at the end of this film? I was surprised at that, how closely it resembles the original Enterprise A. At least, it looks a lot more like the classic Enterprise that we're used to than the original the Kelvin Enterprise looked like. I like it a lot. I like it. I, you know, I liked I liked the Kelvin Enterprise and now the Kelvin Enterprise A. I think it looks, also looks pretty cool. When they were speed building it, I thought it was sort of convenient that they're like, oh, you lost the Enterprise? We'll just give you another one. Uh, see, I think that was supposed to be a different ship because Commodore Paris at one point had mentioned that there's another, there's only one ship that could uh, help you, but it's not finished yet. Right, and I missed that connection until the second time I saw uh-huh. it. She said the only the only more advanced ship is still under construction. Yep, so I think that's what it was supposed to be. And they're like, oh, well, Kirk, you lost one, so go ahead and have this one. It's kind of like what happened in the movies anyway, so. Right, although a small part of me was hoping that they would just rechristen the Franklin. 
that would have been kind of neat. I thought it would be cool to see Kirk get this 100-year-old ship retrofitted and start flying that around. Uh, it was probably took so much damage in the conflict and being mothballed for 100 years or so. But think about how much damage the original Enterprise took in Star Trek Into Darkness. Like, it true. practically fell into Earth's orbit. <laughs> very true, very true. I couldn't believe that they got that thing flying again. Eh. I wonder what they'll now do with the saucer on the planet. I wonder if they'll go back and fetch it or destroy it or something. I'm guessing they'll probably go back and reclaim what they can or destroy it just so it can't be taken by anyone else. Although apparently they were having some trouble getting through the nebula before this movie, and now they... Even Kirk says, now we know how to get through the nebula. The thing about space is space is really, really big. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking, like, hey, people, you have faster than light travel. You could go around this meteor this meteor belt. Right. Asteroid belt, asteroid belt, asteroid. And that's what it was. It wasn't a nebula. It was an asteroid belt. Yeah, so I think they're kind of conflating some terms. But, like, okay, it's a movie. Not supposed to be thinking about this. And the 100-year-old Franklin had no problem getting through it. Yeah, yeah, we just kind of glance over that. Right, we need this. We need the Enterprise because it has the most advanced navigational systems in the quadrant. But oh, this hundred-year-old Franklin can get through it just fine. <laughs> they found the same wormhole as the Franklin found, apparently. Jeez. <laughs> so yeah, you you glaze over some of that. So I had a very fascinating discussion with my friend Sheppy, who had spent a lot of time thinking about this, which was that the loss of the Franklin and its uh, crash on this alien planet with all this technology is also canon in the Prime Universe, because it predates Nero's incursion and attack on the USS Kelvin. Yep, yep. So I wonder what happened to Edison, Crawl, Franklin, all of it, in the Prime Universe. Yeah, who knows? Maybe time went differently. I mean, still different things could have happened, or they're still there. Or some people who were able to deflect the bees. Or, you know what? The Yorktown probably wasn't built there. So that's what he was getting all his information from. That's what Sheppy thought, which was that after Nero destroyed Vulcan, the Federation basically really amped up their scientific research in response to these imminent threats, which is how we got, what was it, the USS Destroyer? Dreadnought, the Dreadnought. Yes, that's how we got the Dreadnought, for example. And it's also why they found Kirk early, or excuse me, uh, that's why they found Khan earlier. Right. And so all the developments that the Federation has undergone since that temporal incursion have changed. So Sheppy's theory was that we didn't have the technology for Yorktown at this point in time in the Prime Universe. Right, right. So there was nothing for Crawl to attack, and also probably Kirk never discovered the Abernath, because I think at this point in the Prime Universe, Kirk wasn't even Captain of the Enterprise yet. If he was, it was, you know, getting to the start. I guess I don't know the exact time, time here. Because I think Enterprise, the USS Enterprise, had been in flight for about a decade, first under oh, yeah. Captain yeah. April, and then under Captain Pike, and then under Captain Kirk. Yeah, so it's not even a young ship. Yeah, whereas this Captain Kirk, he took helm of the Enterprise right after graduating from Starfleet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that whole timeline is thrown off, the scientific development is thrown off, so there are a lot of different possibilities here. There's lots of ways they can now just kind of manipulate, oh, well, this happens differently in this universe. So that because it is, that's the way it is. <laughs> just... Now, speaking of different timelines and what's canon and what is not, in January, we're going to see the premiere of a new Star Trek TV series. Yes. The Star Trek Discovery. Uh-huh. Do you have any theories as to what time period it's set in? I think it's after the original series and maybe slightly before or during the movie era, of, of the TOS movie era. So between TOS and TNG. Uh-huh. Well, no, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. 
No, <laughs> I'm sorry. I was kind of conflating my two my, my beyond here. Um, actually, no. I think it's going to be between enterprise and TOS. Why do you think that? The hull structure looked a lot like uh, NRX01 to me, like the saucer anyway. So I'm thinking it's going to be somewhere in the in the between those two periods. But it also could be. I could see arguments for after TOS series because it borrows some ship designs from um, what was going to be Star Trek Phase Two. Oh, I hadn't noticed that. Yeah, um, people. Or I was one of the concept designs of the new ship, or the, I think it was a new even Enterprise for Star Trek Phase Two, which never came to be. Now, I was wondering why they would have a show between ENT and TOS, because one of the complaints against Enterprise was that it went too far back, whereas Star Trek is about going forward. I don't know about that, because it's supposed to be like the birth of the Federation or whatever. I think one of the complaints about Enterprise, I agree with this, we didn't see the, we could have seen the Romulan Wars, and we didn't get to see that. So I'm wondering if maybe uh, we'll get some of that in this new series. And even at the end of the trailer or um, teaser, they show some information, but it uses the Romulan cloak noise. Let's look at the Klingon cloak noise. Oh, I hadn't noticed that. Yeah, I don't know if it was intentional or not, or they just thought like, hey, this is a cool sound effect. We'll use that. Some cloaking ship. So now is what they used. I don't know, though. I mean, Starfleet always says it's not a military organization, and yet... Enterprise was all about the temporal Cold War mm-hmm. and then the Zindi Wars, and now we're going to do a series about the Romulan Wars. Yeah, I don't know if it was actually about them, but maybe in that era. And then, but yeah, DS9 was a lot more war, Voyager, and a little bit of Enterprise and TNG. It was all exploring. Actually, you know what? What's his face, the head writer, drawing a blank? He said he wanted to go back to Star Trek's roots. So I'm guessing it's going to have nothing to do with war. Brian Fuller? Yes, that's it. Now, the best reason I can think of to have a Star Trek show between Enterprise and the original series is because that entire era is common to both the Prime and Kelvin universes. You're right. You're right. People have been debating, will the new show be in the Prime universe or the Kelvin universe? Because for people who have come into the Star Trek franchise through these new movies, to then have to switch gears and understand that this is not in the same universe, it's in the Uh Prime universe, would be confusing. Right. And actually, it has been stated this is in the Prime universe. That's what they're saying, but if it's before TOS, then it's it could be also both. in the Kelvin universe. Yep, yep. So it doesn't matter if you came to Star Trek through the movies or through the TV shows, this show will be common to both audiences. Yeah, interesting. So I think that would eliminate a lot of potential confusion. Yeah. However, I'm not sure if even that's canon, because I think it's that CBS owns the TV shows and Paramount owns the movies. Right, so they can just do whatever. <laughs> so CBS might say, yeah, this show is common to both universes, and Paramount might say, no, screw you, we're going to contradict it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Hmm, I don't know. All right, so, Star Trek Beyond. How would you rank it among the three reboot films? Is it the best, the worst, or right in the middle? Uh, right in the, honestly, right in the middle. For me, it's Star Trek 2009, Beyond, and then Into Darkness. Yeah, Star Trek 2009 is a very high bar. That was so much fun. I'm yeah. still getting excited just thinking about it. So, yeah. <laughs> the 2009 movie? Uh-huh. You know, you can watch it anytime you I want. I can, I can. I think I just got so excited because I hadn't had new Trek in, what, five or six years when that came out? Right. It, oh, my God. I was so excited. I was hopping and bouncing. Like, come on, come on, come on. Hurry when it's going to the movie <laughs> the first time. That sounds like something you would do, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, on Rotten Tomatoes, I'm kind of surprised by the current ratings. The 2009 film has a 95% rating, which I think is well-deserved. Mm-hmm. Into Darkness actually has an 86%. Interesting. And Star Trek Beyond, which just came out this month, has an 83 Really? Yeah. I don't think the fans would agree with the critics. 
Yeah, that's true. Rotten Tomatoes lets you separate out the film critic scores from the audience scores. So let's see. Uh, Star Trek Into Darkness, audience score, 90%. Star Trek Beyond, audience score, 84%. Really? Huh. Yeah. Interesting. I don't see that disconnect, and I have not seen that disconnect online either. Yeah, so according to Ghost uh, Ghostbusters, according <laughs> to Rotten Tomatoes, both fans and critics think Star Trek Into Darkness was better. Interesting. Well, it's also younger, so maybe the... That, huh. that surprises me. Yeah, maybe this is the average of... Well, let's see. Star Trek Into Darkness, they're taking the average of 265 critics compared to 209 critics on Star Trek Beyond. Huh. And for the fans, they're taking into account 310,000 for Star Trek Into Darkness. Uh, for Star Trek Beyond, it's 48,000. Oh, okay, there's a vast difference there. So plenty of space to get higher up. But that's really weird. I've not seen that in my circles at all. Yeah, some movies need to age before they're really appreciated. This is also true. This is also true. I'm hoping that this film will go down as being well-remembered. Hell, I can even appreciate Into Darkness more, having seen it a few weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago now. Like, when I saw it in the theater, I still kind of feel, eh, but when I saw it in the theater, I was more down about it than I was my most recent viewing. Yeah, I do like Rotten Tomatoes ranks all 13 movies, and it says Star Trek 2009 is the best one, followed by Star Trek First Contact, <laughs> yep. and then Star Trek The Wrath of Khan, yep. and then Star Trek Into Darkness. Huh, wow. And then The Voyage Home. Huh. I definitely enjoy The Voyage Home more than Into Darkness. Me but, too. But you do need to appreciate the original series cast to appreciate The Voyage Home. And you might need to appreciate the 80s more, too. <laughs> yes, that's true. Uh, you know, we are an aging demographic, and there are probably a lot of Trekkies now who don't know anything about the 80s. Yeah. From first-hand experience, I mean. Double dumbass on you. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Wait, what? That's from oh, something. Star Trek, Star Trek 4. Oh, that's right. Oh my gosh. I really need to go watch that. You know, my mom wanted to see the new movie, but she hadn't seen any of the original series. So my goal was to show her a whole mess of episodes from the original series, like Space Seed, City on the Edge of Forever, all this other stuff, and then watch Star Trek 2, 3, and 4, uh-huh. and then Star Trek 2009, and then Star Trek Beyond. There you go. That's a good That's a good one. You can skip the other ones. Right. That's what I thought. But by the time she decided she wanted to see Star Trek Beyond, we only had like three weeks before it came oh. out. Yeah, that can be kind of tough. Yeah. So I showed her a few episodes of the original series. I think just two. I think I showed her, uh, what's the movie that introduces us to Sarek? It's not Balance of Terror. It's the same actor as Balance of Terror. Yeah, same actor. Um, God, I can't remember the name right now. It's Journey to Babel. Is that it? Okay. Him and, and Amanda come on the ship. And they're like, what? That's your dad? Yeah, so we watched Journey to Babel, which I had never seen before, and I was really impressed by how many details from that episode actually came back up in Star Trek 2009. Oh my gosh, yes. You know, yes. like Lady Amanda says to Spock, I know how you were picked on as a kid for being half Vulcan. I didn't know that. And then 2009, that happens. Uh-huh. We yeah, get to see cool it. stuff from the animated series if you're <laughs> interested. I know that various Star Treks have pulled stuff from the animated series, like the Andorians having two different races. Yeah, they also pulled Spock being picked on at school and whatever, too, and some of his um, youth. Oh, we see. There's an episode where Spock goes back and sees young Spock. That's right. And doesn't he, like, he save young Spock? Yep, yep. Yeah, I've heard about that episode. I've never seen it. Uh, but looking at this list of all the movies on Rotten Tomatoes, I just realized the photo that Zachary Quinto sees at the end of Star Trek Beyond was taken from Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Yeah, that or five, one of the two. Cast photo. 
Yeah, it, it looks like six, and that's really touching because that, of course, is the last time they were all together. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, that scene, that and, and the beginning one where they show Ambassador Spock. Yeah. Thing, the, both of those I cried. And knowing that this was not only the first Star Trek after Leonard Nimoy's passing, but also that Anthony Yelchin had just passed. Uh-huh. And at the, at the end of the beginning, if you stick around, you'll see nods to both of them. Yeah. But also even right in the beginning when they, Bone says, you know, I found this drink in oh my God. Chekhov's locker. <laughs> I was like, oh. And then they uh, salute the empty glass. Yep. You know, they, they pour a third drink, I mean. And I, I know that's supposed to be Kirk's father, George Kirk, but it felt like they were doing it to Chekhov. Yep. And at the end, Kirk mentions two absent friends. And then the camera cuts to, to Chekhov. Oh. Uh-huh. I don't know if it was intentional or not, or if it just happened to be the way they edited it, but that's what they did in the end. Oh my gosh, I totally missed that. I, I caught that line. I didn't catch the connection, the juxtaposition. Uh, and it was a, it's a quote from one of the movies, too. The Star Trek 3, I think. I mean, end of Star Trek 2. Kirk says the same thing in that movie. Uh, let's see. Two absent friends uh, comes into play in, I think, Star Trek 2. I think you're right. All right. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It says, Kirk gave a toast to absent friends in Spock's honor after his death in Star Trek Three. Okay, yep. And then this is on Memory Alpha. The, the, it's the Memory Alpha entry for the word toast. <laughs> Not the bread. But it lists all the toasts that have ever been given oh, wow. in any Star Trek. To the journey. To the journey. To the journey. When did they use that one? That was in the end of Voyager. Oh, that's right, when they were deciding whether or not to use the Transwarp Gateway. Yep. Wow. It's not the adventure, it's not the ending, I don't remember, it's the journey, to the journey. It's not, mm-hmm. the, it's not the destination, voyage. it's that's the it, voyage. Mm-hmm. I mean, they probably said journey, but since it was Voyager, I'm thinking voyage. Mm-hmm. Wow. So this has been a most unusual episode of Polygamer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just, I could, you could keep me going on Star Trek all day long. We could have gone another couple hours here. Well, I do need to ask, what did you wear to the premiere? I wore my Starfleet uh, TNG command dress. Nice. So this was uh, Command Red for the TNG era. Yep. Even though this movie is the TOS era? Well, yeah, I don't have any TOS. <laughs> it wasn't until the Tuesday of the release week. I was like, oh, now why am I coveting TOS dress? <laughs> <laughs> and this is just a one piece? Yep. Nice. Yeah, I think you posted some photos on Twitter. Is that correct? I think I did, yeah. Yeah, excellent. And you can find me there. At Sabreality, S-A-B-R-I-A-L-T-Y. Which is also your handle on Facebook. It is. And there will be links in the show notes. And, of course, I am Ken Gagne. You can find me on GameBits. You can find this episode of Polygamer, where normally we're discussing equality and diversity in gaming, but I can't imagine that there's a listener to Polygamer who doesn't love Star Trek. <laughs> and if you don't, that's okay. That you know, we are all about equality and diversity, infinite diversity in infinite combinations. But you really should love Star Trek. Yeah, really. Like, what's wrong with you if you don't? <laughs> if you don't love it because you've never been exposed to it, check it that, out. You that's know. a different story. That's right. Different you know, story. go grab the 2009 movie. That's a great entry point. I had friends who didn't want to go see this new movie because they feel like there's 50 years of history behind it. No, just go watch the 2009 movie. And sure, there will be things that you may miss or not appreciate, but they're not central to the plot. You'll be able to jump right in. Right. You know, and that's one of the great things about the reboot was that they knew there was all this 
baggage, basically, with Star Trek, and they needed to capture a new young audience. And the 2009 movie successfully did that while drawing in and honoring and respecting all us old-time fans as well. I think it did it very well. Yeah, this new movie, Star Trek Beyond, is a movie my dad would have loved. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry I didn't get to see it. Yeah, well, the good news is that I have accidentally gotten my mom into Star Trek. (laughs) And she wanted to go see this movie. And she went and saw it, and she said, Ken, not only did I love that movie, but Dad would have loved it, and Dad would have loved that I went to see it. (laughs) I I think he would have. I know he would have. (laughs) Well, thanks, Bree, and thank you for coming on the show again. I hope to have you again on soon. It was a blast, and thank you for having me. Live long and prosper. (laughs) Live long and prosper, Ken. This has been Polygamer, a GameBits production. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback at polygamer.net. Did you stick around for the at the credits when they were flying through space? Yes. The big green hand was actually in that. <gasps> Damn it. Now I need to go see it a third time. Yep. It's actually towards the end, just before the um, nods to um, Leonard Nimoy and Anton. Why do I keep missing these things? It was at the very end. It was, it was difficult to see. The hand is actually coming towards the camera. So it's not the easiest to see. Oh, okay. So, But uh, if you're looking for it, you're like, oh, duh. <laughs> awesome. Good to know. If, if I ever, I probably will end up seeing the movie a third time before long, so now I know what else to look for. Any other Easter eggs that you picked up on? Oh, there's actually, oh, I missed that there's 50 aliens that were created just for this movie because of the 50th anniversary. Oh, how clever. Yep. Um, let's see, there was Chekhov going, uh, you know, whiskey or was, a, was, was invented by a Russian woman. Yes, I loved that. I was the only one in the theater who laughed at that, too. <laughs> I laughed. Oh. And um, all the little nods to Enterprise made me so happy. Yeah. Not much in the way of, of course, TNG, DS9, or Voyager, because those haven't happened yet. No. There was Commodore Paris. I was wondering if that's related to Tom Paris and his father, the Admiral. Uh, I think it's it's not necessarily is, but it sure uh, seems like it. It seems like of all the fake names they could have chosen, to choose one that has a lineage in the Star Trek universe can't be a coincidence. I don't think it was a coincidence. Huh. And and didn't they have to like go back and film more scenes with Admiral Paris? Um, that I don't know. I thought I read that they had to do some pickup shots to add her because I don't remember why. That I'm not sure on. I thought she was a great character. And you have an Iranian woman on, t- on camera. Yes, that's right. Yay. I just found this inverse.com article that lists... All the Star Trek Beyond Easter eggs. Oh, there's a bunch of them. And mentions like Chekhov's proud Russian heritage, which you Mm -hmm. just talked about. Uh, Let's see. Oh, the Yorktown itself. What about the Yorktown? Um, That was actually the original name that Gene Roddenberry proposed would turn into Enterprise. I didn't know that. It was going to be the USS Yorktown. Huh. Uh Uh-huh. How about that? And let's see what else off the top of my head. Oh, neither of us mentioned... The, I love this line at the beginning where Kirk says his life is starting to Episodic. feel... Episodic. Exactly. I thought about it, but yeah. That was... Oh, I laughed there. <laughs> the star... Something about 966. Um, the show started in 1966, which it was a nod. Oh, it had been 966 days since they started their mission. Oh. That was a nod to 1966.
or September 66. One of the two. Nice. Huh. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, so I'll, I'll include this inverse.com link in the show notes. 